2: Well, I have a really exciting guest today, comedian and author, Jen Kirkman. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me today. Welcome.
3: I'm so glad to be here. And I'm I'm in a room, you can probably see there's a couch behind me and I feel like I should be on the couch, (laughs) not in my swivel chair here. Well, if
2: you want to, you could go sit on the couch and we'll have a whole conversation that way. (laughs) You know, that's funny is I have so many people, you know, my office, I have like a A big, long, normal couch you would have in a therapy office. And then I have like my chair, which is like a more standard like lounge chair. And people will come in often and be like, one, will be like, where do I sit? And I'm like, well, I guess you could choose which spot you want. But also they're like, do I lay down?
3: I get the do I lay down question, but the where do I sit? Don't you just want to go, oh. I don't want you as a client. Do you ever think that? Do you ever just judge? I
2: don't ever wonder that, but I do. I think like speak, we're going to talk about anxiety today, but I think like if you've never been mm-hmm. to therapy, never, and you don't have a lot of experience with it, there's so much anxiety that it's almost like you black out and you don't even know what you're saying or yeah. doing. So sometimes I think that like, where do I sit? It's like, they just need some guidance. They just don't know what to do with their hands. True. Like they just like are so nervous.
3: Yeah, they're probably not actually asking that, but they're just saying, "Okay, I'm in yeah, your hands now." Yeah.
2: Um. But the lay down thing, I'm like, if you want to lay down, I guess you can lay down. But people don't really do that as much these days.
3: I know. I was disappointed <laughs> to find out that you I really don't, don't lay down in therapy don't ever. Just take a nap. I have to be very present and awake.
2: <laughs> okay. So
3: what I
2: was saying before we hit record is that I love. I love the podcast because I love that I get to teach things and I love that I get to have experts come talk about things because I'm a therapist, but I'm not an expert in everything that comes with mental health. We have specialties. And then there's these other episodes I don't get to do as much where I'm just like talking to a human being about their story and mental health. And that's what we're going to do today. And Jen actually started a new podcast called Anxiety Bites, which I will go ahead and vouch for now because I've listened to two episodes. It's really good. And I think it's something that we need. I have some questions about what made you start it, but I've heard enough of your story where I'm like, I want to ask some questions. Like she just left me hanging there and she said this thing. And then I have, I want to talk to her and now I get to talk to you. (laughs) So um, that's what we're going to do today is we're going to hear somebody's story. And before we get going, I want to say thank you because this might be something that you talk about a lot. And so it might not be that big of a deal to you anymore, but I always think it's a big deal when we allow ourselves to share these things that generally aren't shared as much.
3: No, I agree. And I think my anxiety story keeps changing, and there's been new developments in the last few years as I discovered things and realized yeah. things. So it's still kind of a big oh, deal for me and it, yeah. in a way that I'm not like, oh, this thing, who yeah. cares? I really like saying my whole story. And I think that most, like, one thing I was wrong about was how many people think every single thing that they've experienced in their anxiety is only them, which makes it worse. And so I think people can hear enough. Yeah. You know, if, if you talk to 50 people, And they each told their story. I think each episode, even if things were repetitive, people would get a lot out of it because they just need to keep hearing this is normal. This is normal. It's not just you.
2: Yeah. And you know what? What I'm really curious about is when you discovered that you had anxiety. And I have my own experience with this because... I think now, in the day and age we're in, especially with social media, I see a lot of stuff that I think is funny. I think it's great. But you'll see a lot of memes and stuff that just kind of like joke about anxiety, you know? And and I, and I think some of it's okay. And I laugh at some, and I'll repost some of them. And at the same time, there was one that came out I don't know when it came out. I saw it the other day. And it was like something about like I I was at the doctor and my doctor asked like if I had any feelings of depression, anxiety. And I responded, well, don't we all? And then the doctor just said no. And well, mm-hmm. I, I like that because I think that my story, and I'm interested to hear yours, is I thought that everybody felt like I felt and that like it was just how the human condition was and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. And what that little picture reminded me of is that like oh this might be like a normal thing like there's nothing wrong with me per se with my like character or my morality because I'm having these feelings it's nothing to be embarrassed about but I also don't have to live this way so it's not just like a yeah duh it's a like yes and I'm allowed to ask for help
3: right it's funny because I do now I just kind of go oh it's a human condition everyone feels this way but no obviously there's levels there's there's levels yes there's total levels you know, people that need to get help and people that are just going through a thing.
2: So I want to talk with you. I want to know about like, when you were like, wait, what is what is this feeling I'm having? Like, I just want to hear from the beginning, your story. And I don't yeah. really know a question to start with that other than will you tell me your story?
3: <laughs> uh, no, I think it's good. It's not that I actually thought everyone felt the same way I did at first. And I certainly didn't think it was normal. But I didn't go this is anxiety. Yeah. It's hard to remember. It's It's like, you know, your story becomes almost like you're telling a movie you saw. I can't, it's so hard to remember how I felt as a kid. And I, and I actually should ask you this, is I think there's a correlation between memories Mm -hmm. getting jumbled and actually not having a great memory and being a kid with undiagnosed anxiety yeah like I don't have a ton of memories from my childhood I mean there's so much in
2: that but I think sometimes our brains are really really awesome in the fact that they will remember things that we need to remember and not remember things we don't need or want to remember and sometimes that can be flip-flop based on our trauma or whatever that is but I think also with anxiety and ADHD I have I have ADD so I forget where I store my memories sometimes oh, that's a good way of putting
3: it. I don't even know what that means. Yeah.
2: So I was talking to a psychiatrist a couple, I think it was, this was probably like five years ago. And I was just so frustrated because I'm like, I literally am paid to remember people's stories. And Mm -hmm. of course I like write things down and not everything is just in my head. But I was I was frustrated because I was forgetting tons of stuff. And I was like, "I th- this is so frustrating to me. Am I stretched too thin? Like, what's going on? And, and she was like, no, it's not that you are like forgetful or this. Like, yeah, I guess it looks like that. But it's not like your brain isn't working. You just are doing so many things at once that you're forgetting where you're putting certain things. Oh, I love that. And it's like, OK, well, but can you tell me where to go to find them?
3: <laughs> yeah, no. How do I get them? Not like glasses that are on your head. Yeah, that's a whole nother story. I'd say say my story began when I was about eight in terms of anxiety. Now, of course, now that I've had like a million years of therapy and you start to like, I didn't start to notice until I was in my forties how my anxiety affected behavior in relationships, no matter what kind and my outlook. So it it was this multi-layered onion. I'm still peeling. I think 10 years ago, I would have told you about anxiety that only had to do with phobias. And, you know, so I'm sure my anxiety began the minute I was... I don't know, able to talk and walk because I was inheriting this stuff from like my parents and, you know, learning bad coping mechanisms and and stuff like that. But in terms of feeling anxious, just old school on the verge of a panic attack, anxious for me was tied in with airplane travel. But I can guarantee you I had anxiety before yeah. that when I was five, six, seven, I think I had disordered things, you know. So I'll give you an example of what I think was anxiety when I was five. So I'm, I'm going to kindergarten and I'm not one of those kids that's like clinging to their parents. I was so excited to go to school and be independent. And my sisters were older than me. So they were like going off to college. You know, I was a, a lot younger and still am than my sisters. Anyway, so I'm at school and I guess I just never heard the word parents before. It was either mom and dad or whatever. And the teacher said something to me about take this home and give it to your parents. And just in that moment, a million things flooded my mind that were like, "I don't have parents," and so I said, "I don't have parents," and I burst into tears, because what I wanted to say was, "I don't know what that word yeah. is," and I thought it was like something fancy, maybe like to some, like because I, I grew up in a really rich town and we weren't rich. It was like maybe that's like I don't know someone that takes care of you like an au pair. Not that I knew the yeah. word au pair, but you do know what I mean, like. If I had to guess why I I had that reaction is that in four seconds, something went through my head that went, this is a thing other people have that you don't. So now here I am, I say, I don't have parents. They don't know. I don't know what the word means. They think I'm like an orphan or something. So then I'm crying and then they take me to the school nurse and it's this whole thing. And then it's like, you do, your mom dropped you off today. She's lying. And I'm like, what is parents? And they're like, well, they didn't say she, yeah. you're lying, but they were trying to figure out the wrong thing, which is why is this girl pretending yeah. not to have parents instead of she didn't know what the word parents is. But the issue is, why are you reacting like that? Like Why not just go what right. parents, you know, and have them go, oh, that means mom and dad. I go, oh, OK, for some reason, I just had the most irrational reaction to not knowing a word. Now, looking back on that memory, that behavior has followed me into my adult life at times. Um, not that extreme, but that to me is the first anxiety story. But I didn't know what the hell that was. I thought it was a funny story until like three years ago. And I went, Oh my gosh. Oh, my reactions have always been a problem, which is when I realized I had adult ADHD and all that. So again, mm-hmm. like depending on when you ask me, as I'm learning more things, that's the true beginning. Wow. Okay. So this is what I
2: wish as a therapist all the time that I could travel back in time and like talk to that five-year-old because there's something in the fact that like, it wasn't an automatic reaction to say like, I can just ask a question when I am confused. I can just ask for clarification. Like, I wonder what it was that kept you from either knowing that you're supposed to ask what is a parent because you didn't know what it was
3: I think you're almost too deep on this one, but you're right. It wasn't like from an overall place because I didn't do that. Any other, I bet five times that day. It was just that thing. No answers. It was tied up, I think, in this stuff that I'd already absorbed by age five, which is we lived in a very wealthy town, but my dad had a working class job as the groundskeeper of a golf course. And so the house came with the job. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to afford to live in that town. So I'd I'd heard unconscious or conscious messages We're not as wealthy as other people. Other people are snobs. Other people have things like it was money. And that was a big.
2: So it was like this thing. I don't I literally don't think I have this thing called a parent.
3: Yeah. And it was like if my parents had. And again, I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying like if they'd had a different obsession about ice skating, whatever, it would have come out over there. But I think just because. I went to school. I saw these like I saw fa- like I somewhere in the back of my head. I saw fancy cars. Yeah. I saw kids with fancy clothes, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Not that it wasn't like we didn't have nice things, but it Different. was just because be- again, because it was like we really were just right. middle class. You know what I mean? But like in the story of the drama of how like my parents were obsessed with like, you know, we don't have yeah. as much as others. Like in my head, it's like I don't have this thing that is a parent. I don't have this thing. Yeah. And so anyway, but I think it really just truly had to do with, I thought it was something to do with. Oh, that was the other thing too. Sorry. I didn't go to nursery school. My mom didn't want me to go to nursery school, which I'm so grateful she didn't. I grew up in Massachusetts in a suburb, uh, like 25 minutes outside of Boston. We'd go into the city and see theater. And my parents were very hands-on and learning. And we just had a ton of life experiences. And I'm just glad I didn't go to preschool. It was just not really a big thing in the seventies, but it was like, I think all this was coming at me, you know, in kindergarten. Like some people were talking about how they'd gone to preschool and then there's this rich kid. And then someone says, give this to your parents. And just something... I was already on that track of I'm different or whatever. I think that's what it is. That's my analysis because it never again, did I have any issue <laughs> like with yeah. asking questions or not knowing things. It was just, I don't know, or maybe a mood I was in, but I feel like that was like a hundred percent anxiety just, you know, handed to me, whatever.
2: Yeah. And you know what that makes me think of there's something, and I want to push people back to listening to anxiety bites, but there's something that I, I really appreciated you asking In that episode, you asked the first episode, you asked something along the lines of like, when it comes to therapy and anxiety, is there something we should be looking for um, when it comes to like who who we go to? You were talking about how you had a therapist that was like, let's go back and dig into your childhood.
3: And you're like, totally, but also like, can I have some skills? Yeah, if I'm having panic attacks at work every day, like I don't have time to go into childhood. And
2: I will say, I love that so much because I think sometimes we do, do this thing where we like want to dissect everything from the very bottom yeah. up. And sometimes we need to start at the top and then if we have time and space then we'll go back. But sometimes it is about containment and like not everything has to do with your mom and your dad. Like not everything yeah. does. A lot of stuff does. I will say a lot of stuff does. But sometimes anxiety is separate from this thing, childhood trauma and all that. And that's something that I think has been kind of frustrating for me seeing on social media is that you'll have these like TikToks that you'll see or Instagram whatever that you'll see and it'll be like if this 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 and this happened, that means that this happened and that means your parents did this and that means you need this. And I'm like, well, I don't think it's always that way.
3: <laughs> no, and and whenever I bring up my parents like my god, I have the most compassion for them if if they've handed me any Life skills that were based in anxiety. They why right. would they have known oh, their right. parents that grew up in the you know early nineteen hundreds? Right. You know, like handed them. And uh, but yeah, so the first time I think was I was eight years old, and I had asked my parents if we could go to Disney World, and they said yes, and we were going to fly there. And I don't remember having a fear of flying.
2: I was going to say you never have flown before.
3: I think it was all just excitement and excitement, and I just we got on the plane, and that was it. I was freaking out, and. And it was a full blown panic attack. And it felt like it lasted the whole flight. Now, it was interesting that my dad, this is way back in the day that we got on the plane and my dad was so excited. You know, you get on the plane back that in 1982 and you can say to the pilot, can my daughter just go in the cockpit? Oh, sure. Yeah. Come on in. And, you know, we looked at all the buttons and I just remember feeling that flooded, sweating, overwhelmed, oh, yeah. like there's too many buttons. What's going on? Oh, my God. And then we sat down and you know, there's two stories here. There's one, I learned it from my parents and there's two that I just was gonna yeah. panic. Like my grandmother and mom did have panic disorder. They will never use those words, yeah. but I know it. You know, My mom had her rosary beads out. And my dad kept going, here we go, here we go. I think he was nervous, but acting excited. I think they each only flown once, but it was also kind of like um, a bad flight. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. We weren't crashing by any means. But again, for some reason, the pilot was like, this is going to be a really rough landing. So everyone should put their head in their lap. So, I mean, I was nervous before then, but I think that didn't help. But again, I can't remember which came first.
2: Okay. And I almost sometimes don't know if that's the most important part because I'm sitting here being like, even if you weren't panicked, you would be now. Like, this is my only experience of a flight and this is what's happening. Hey guys, Kat here, and I have something very important to talk to you guys about. Now I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life, but if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick, or you just need a little extra boost, I think I've found the next best thing. And the next best thing might just be cozy earth and their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. It feels like you're stepping into a Next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit cozyearth.com and use our code you need at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you, you need therapy
1: after you check out. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future.
0: And also, I think
3: let's just like go like forget my parents and that my mom had a rosary beads out again. I'm feeling a sensation that I've never felt before where this thing when that is taxiing really fast. I forget now that that took my breath away And, and I was little, you know, and I think it was just sensations I'd never felt. I couldn't speak. I was like, oh it was horrifying and then my ears were popping really badly which w- didn't make me anxious but it just everything was like oh this new is new and strange <laughs> and and unknown and and also like again back then everyone you know dressed up a little more on planes you could smoke cigarettes and so i'm looking at people in certain areas of the plane that are like smoking a cigarette and having a drink and they look like their feathered hair of the 80s is so fabulous and that didn't help either because that made me go why am I the only one that feels this way? You know, why is everyone being normal? Like I wish it had inspired me, but it didn't. And then I spent the whole trip at Disney just dreading the flight back. You know, I wasn't talking to my parents about this. I I would say I'm scared of flying back. And my dad would probably say something like, oh, don't even think about it. Let's enjoy ourselves while we're here. And so I was like busy that week thinking thoughts that became my toolkit for panic attacks, like obsessing, blah, blah. And so then it started to become my identity. I'm afraid of flying. I didn't feel ashamed to talk about it. I told anyone I knew. And so before every flight, especially as I got older, closer to teenage years, it was, again, we go to Disney World every year, even until I was like 13. It became, I write a will before I go on the plane and I give it to my friends. And like, you know, what I don't know what I was giving away, my plastic <laughs> boombox, but it became this thing where I really thought I was doing something Dangerous, you know, it wasn't just the uncomfortability of. I really think I thought flying was dangerous and that you could die and that you could crash. And nowadays, when I had a fear of flying a little later in life, it eventually became like I realized it wasn't about a fear yeah. of crashing. But, you know, so it, and then by age 14, I said, I can't do this anymore. Like I just, it's not worth it. Like I, we can't fly. So I never flew again for a while. And I think I had more depression during my years. But oh, I'm forgetting one of the other bigger things that happened. So that was flight when I was eight. Now, one or two years later, we're talking Cold War with Russia. Everything is like nuclear bombs talk all over the news. And my parents, they don't really shield things from me. Again, I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying like they would just talk about it. So like, you know, oh, yeah, we did air raid. I mean, I think it was just sort of I, we didn't live in a fantasy world. You know, like if the news was on, I saw what was happening. And there was um, just a lot of talk about that kind of stuff. And I I watched that t- made-for-TV movie the day after. I don't know if you've heard of it. It came out in the 80s. It was literally a movie about what if Russia nuked America. I actually was obsessed with this movie, and I ended up doing like a one-woman show. Up. <laughs> I think it was a comedy thing years ago. But in my research about the movie, it was said that Ronald Reagan watched it, and it scared him enough to... I don't know why he wasn't working on this before, but like it scared him enough into wanting to um, really make peace Mm -hmm. with the USSR. But anyway, it was it was terrifying. So basically, one of the scenes in the movie was the bombs are coming and everyone can see them. And they're all on the freeway trying to get out. But it's just the cars are just like a parking lot. No one can leave town. And then, boom, the bomb hits and everyone turns into a skeleton in their car. And you can hear the air raid signals, you know, and so that like lived in me. So every time we'd go visit my grandmother and we'd be on the freeway, I would think, you know, what if we get nuked right now? Everything was like, what if right now? What if this? And so I started to develop more physical symptoms that weren't the same as the airplane symptoms. It was more heart skipping a beat and pain in my arm. And, you know, my mom and grandmother had high blood pressure and my grandmother who lived until 99 and my mom is now currently 83. They both claim they have heart problems. I'm no doctor, but you know, my Nana didn't die, but she just died because right. she was 99. Like they were obsessed with their hearts. So I went and got a stress test at the local hospital because I was having like heart pain or whatever. How old were you? 12. So this is like a few years after the fear of flying. Now we're into the like having panic attacks on the freeway, like field trips at school were really difficult for me because I didn't like being on the freeway. Usually the bus mm-hmm. would take, a, you know, and yeah. And so my mom took me like normalized it. But normalized it like, oh, yeah, this runs in our family, you know, Like, but didn't call it anxiety. And the doctor was like, oh, yeah, you're stressed, which I thought was like a badge of honor. Like, cool, I'm stressed. I thought that was very adult. But he was like, oh, also you have I don't know what he said. It was like he's like, you're fine, though. You're fine. It's just stress. But you your arm aching is like separate. It's sometimes it gets too cold. It's like a muscle thing or something. I was like, oh, all right. Anyway, but it's like at the same time I had all this anxiety, I was it, the other side of it was those feelings were so intolerable that every other second of my life had to be a ball. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So I had a lot of joy mm-hmm. and friends and make believe mm-hmm. and fun. And I took dance and I was outrageous and fun and silly. I mean, you wouldn't have known I had anxiety, but it was like, if I'm going to live through these intolerable moments, sometimes then I lived each day as if it were my last. Cause I really thought those, those feelings of impending death were mm-hmm. so intense that it almost pushed me into this really gregarious Mm -hmm. way of living, which then by the time I was in my late teens and went off to college and I only went to college, like in the city of Boston. So it was Mm -hmm. no planes involved. There was like a program. You could go to Amsterdam. It didn't cost any more than your tuition already did. And I didn't go. And, you know, and then at that point, it's like, I don't know where these bad habits came from, but I had all these bad habits Mm -hmm. of coping with panic attacks that I started having pretty regularly, like almost every day at this point all through high school but I never told anyone because they were so it was once it stopped being on a plane yeah. which made yeah. sense to me and everyone else who I told and it just became I'm sitting in the middle of French class and I'm having a panic attack because the teacher said something like anytime someone talked about something I don't know how to put it like if he said something about the 1500s it would just spark something like oh my god the world is so big and life's been around forever we're all gonna die you know like
2: existential crisis kind of thing
3: yes yes Anytime someone said something that could spark an existential crisis, which always happened in French (laughs) class, I would have. And, you know, sometimes my teachers thought I I was on drugs, which is hilarious because I wasn't. And I I just have to run out of the room, you know. And Well, can you talk about because I think a lot
2: of people don't even know what a panic attack can look and feel like. So for you, what did that look and feel like?
3: Mine felt like I get a thought, then my breath starts doing something. And then my mind is racing a million miles a minute. So it always started with, I feel like I can't get a deep breath. I can't breathe. And then like the butterflies would happen in my chest where it actually felt like it was constricting and like, oh, wow. Like I actually might be able, I might stop breathing. Maybe palm palms sweating, but for me, it was always breath related. And then just my mind would start racing to where it would always go to, a very existential place of crazy thoughts. Like almost like my brain was screwing Mm -hmm. with me. Like what if gravity stops affecting you and you fly away right now, the stuff like that. I've since learned it was called feelings of unreality where like, you don't feel like you're fainting. You just feel like you're not there, Mm -hmm. like you're a ghost or something. So that's how it felt. And, and I, it just, I could not ground myself, I could not get it to stop. And I couldn't stop my mind from freaking myself out. Well,
2: and I think the important part to pay attention to there is you're literally having a physical sensation that's tapped into your mind. But like, it sounds like it would come on fast, which they do, normally do. Like all of a sudden this is happening. I don't know how to get it to stop. And I like you saying like I would run out of the class. Like sometimes it's like I need to run away to get out of this. But then like I don't mm-hmm. know if the panic attack follows you. But it's like so uncomfortable. It's not just like, oh, I'm getting a little bit nervous.
3: No, it wasn't nerves at all, you know. And of course the weird part is like I had my safe spaces that would be um anxiety and producing yeah. for anyone else. Like I I danced and I was on stage a lot. And, you know, those are all my safe places. And but yeah, I mean, I think running out of the room is Like now I've learned the correct thing to do is breathe Mm -hmm. properly, ground yourself, obviously stop thinking those thoughts that freak you out. So when I would run out of the room, interestingly enough, my brain would say, you're safe now. So I think that helped a lot too. Obviously you can't run out of a room on a plane. So, But then that thing happens where you have one in one room and now you're going to worry that it's going to happen again in that room and it Mm -hmm. starts to. So there became more. When you were having them every day. Oh, multiple times a day, every day. Undiagnosed and not telling anyone for So what did you years. think was happening? Like, Did you just think you were crazy? I thought I was insane. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do because there was no internet. And I remember my, my friend Dave came out of the closet to me. I, I came out of the anxiety closet to him. I was like, okay, well, I have a secret. I have these, you know. And I think we went to the library in this very dramatic fashion and, and somehow found books about the brain. I can't remember exactly what led us to these shelves, but it was... Bottom line, I learned the word panic. And what did that feel like to learn that word? It didn't help. I just said, oh, okay, so I know what this is. So it's gonna get so bad that I'm gonna have to live in an institution. So that's what I thought. I'm just I'm just waiting for it to get bad enough that they have to make me live somewhere.
2: Now this is a word, it's in this book. I have this, and if anybody finds out, I'm gonna have to go live in like an asylum.
3: An asylum, yeah. And I thought, you know, I'll have to wait until I'm I'm feeling this way every second. Then I'll be ready to live in an asylum, but I still have some good living in me. It's not happening, Mm -hmm. you know, all day, every day. So back then it was like normal or crazy. Mm -hmm. No in between. Yeah. You know, I mean, not that I should even use the word crazy, but you know what I'm saying? There was no. No, I
2: know what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. There wasn't an in between. There was no normalization of people struggling with mental health disorders. It was if you have some kind of mental health, anything you are like cuckoo and we're going to lock you up because there's no helping you.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even think to tell my parents about like, I didn't even think to tell anyone. And then kind of a miraculous ish thing happened where I was living at home during the summers to work and save money. Again, I was, Mm -hmm. you know, only 20 minutes out of the city. And my mom told me about this fear of flying course that was being taught at the Logan airport in Boston taught by a psychiatrist. Okay. And we didn't talk about psychiatry in our family. I like, don't even remember how this whole conversation came about. It's like in my memory, it's like there's the newspaper and she pointed to something and we did it. But back then again, the panic was so bad. The class was in the airport Mm -hmm. and it was in a lounge at Delta airlines. And you were sitting in front of the window with the plane right out. I mean, obviously it was exposure therapy, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't handle the sensations. I couldn't drive on the freeway either. So my dad would drive me to class every Tuesday night. So you took this class. Yeah. And my doctor gave him special permission to sit with us and I loved the class so much. I loved the psychiatrist. And I, I always tell the story of like, he's what kind of is in my head when I want to help other people. Oh. This is again, you could smoke inside back then. He was smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. He he gave us a multi-tiered approach to panic. We did progressive muscle relaxation, thought stopping. But he also said diet diet is important. So on the day of the flight, don't smoke, don't drink coffee, anything to keep your nervous system. But he's saying it while drinking coffee and smoking. And his name was Dr. Al Forgioni. He's now dead. And uh this woman goes, Dr. Al, I I um how come you can smoke and drink? He's like, I'm not the one who's afraid. <laughs> he was very irreverent. But what was interesting is I was the only young person in the class. Everyone was uh 40 and over. Wow. And it was something they had just recently developed. A lot of it had to do with like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like a lot of them had flown a lot and they just had a bad flight and got a fear or never had really mm-hmm. flown, but now they have to because their kids are grown up and moved away. Anywho, bottom line is we do 12 weeks of the class and every night I have to go home and do progressive muscle relaxation. I loved doing that. And I got to see other people, what they look like when they're anxious. And and it wasn't it was just interesting. I have no other comment on it, but we did a graduation flight from Boston to New York and back. And it didn't work oh. for me. We used to rate our anxiety zero to 10. And I was still at a 10, like every time we had to rate, I would get down lower. But then once we got on the plane, I was like 10 and everyone was like zero. I'm cured, Dr. L. I love you. And like everyone's having the best time on the plane and I'm white knuckling. it. I'm like grabbing his arm and he's like, Jen. And I'm like, I, and he basically told me when we landed, he said, you know, I don't think you just have a fear of flying. I think you have an anxiety mm-hmm. disorder. And I was like, oh, and and by this point, like I wasn't as scared. I was I think I was twenty. Yeah. I'd had a lot of panic attacks in college, like I was an acting major. And a lot of that was laying on the floor and doing deep breathing. And again, it was an existential thing where we'd lay on the floor and do deep breathing. But it was in this like 10th floor of a building. And the teacher would open the windows and tell us to look into the sky and imagine the sky. And I didn't.
1: (laughs) This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
4: Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
2: Well, wait a second. I'm having a thought. I just want to run this by you. So, you have this like what you think is fear of flying and then and at the same time, you're an acting major and you said before like you did dance and stuff. So you're on stage and you're in front of people and you're doing things that like, I want to say this is but like a, a somewhat objectively, the things that you're doing are kind of scary for a lot of people. Yeah. But those things weren't scary. So I, I want to no, just separate for a second. There is a difference between like being fearful and having an anxiety disorder they are not one in the same. So mm. we're like a lot of people are in that flying class because they have this just straight up baseline fear of flying. Some might put anxiety in that category somewhere, but you have a panic and anxiety disorder because it's not like you were just this fearful person who was scared of scary things because True. you could do right. these things that would put a lot of people. If you ask me to get on a stage And and dance or do something like that when I was younger, no way. I I would have been having my own fear response because that's scary. But that also
3: was fun for you. So that makes total sense. Yeah, I I I probably didn't even really have a fear flying. It was that my panic disorder was really aggravated by being on a plane, and I didn't want to experience it. It
2: manifests in this like this unknown of something, and there's probably more to unpack in there. But I just I think that anxiety can be a fancy word for fear. Yes. And I think sometimes it's not just that you're scared. It's that you have a anxiety disorder. So it might not be anything about this thing. So we're doing all this work of like, what is it about the plane? And then this and then that and that. And it's like, wait a second, this is like a bigger issue.
3: Yeah. And you know, it's funny too, because when I was 12, my grandfather died and we weren't close or anything It was the first death in my family. And I just read this book. Anxiety, The Missing Stage mm-hmm. of Grief by this woman, Claire Bidwell-Smith. And I interviewed her for my podcast, Anx- Anxiety Bites. It'll come out in a few months. But there's a lot of stuff in the book that's about, you know, like death causes anxiety, mm-hmm. obviously. the re- I mean, when someone dies, it causes us anxiety. And I think I had just like a real existential massive fear of death. And that that's when all my panic attacks became uh, not just about yeah. the plane. It was like the nuclear war. My grandfather died. I felt like I'd been yeah. fooled. Like here I was on Earth pretty good life. And then I'm like, wait, we die. You know, I just like it all hit me. Like, what the hell is this all about? (laughs) You know? And I think I was just so afraid. And that to me is, I don't know. I like who knows where anxiety disorders begin or end, but I was really affected by certain things. But yeah, so that fear flying course, when he said that I went, that makes sense. And then, you know, I went to like a couple therapists at school that were terrible and I don't even know what but then I just, I don't even remember, again, how could I remember this? It was so long ago. I found someone and I started going after I graduated college and I think she was like $10 sliding scale or something. Oh, heck yes. <laughs> yeah. And I told her about my panic and, and she, you know, said all the things that, you know, everyone says that it's just over adrenaline and it's a reaction. And she taught me some techniques of like staying in the moment. And it really mm-hmm. helped. Like I was able to ride the... Mm-hmm. Subway again and 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 I moved to New York like a year later and sorry, that's what I mean by ride the subway. I had, I moved to New York and I was able to ride the subway using some of the techniques mm-hmm. she taught me. I still sometimes had panic attacks and had to run off. I one time asked a cop if he could drive me back to Brooklyn. He it's said, like, no. <laughs> no. I mean, I was in the oh. Times Square area and like who runs off the subway in Times Square when they're having a panic attack, like do a couple more stops. I was going to say into Times crowded, Square. But, that's like uh, the
2: wrong place to be. <laughs>
3: So, you know, it was like, I had no chill still when it came to having a panic attack. I still didn't have the tools to talk myself down in it. I would still just kind of white knuckle it till it was over. At least I knew what it was after it happened. And I was doing a lot of prep so that I wouldn't have them in general.
2: I'm curious to like, what gave you the like, okay, to like, I'm going to tell somebody, like, even if it's a therapist, that these things are happening? Because before it was like, well, if I tell somebody, I'm going to be locked up.
3: I think it was... Because it started with that fear of flying that my parents knew I had and going to that class and just sort of, I don't know, it just sort of all made sense in my head that I don't know. I just sort of knew in my gut that it was OK. And when he said, you have an anxiety disorder, he didn't say it like, and I'm so yeah. worried. He was just like, yeah, you should just go to therapy for this, like in general. And no. it doesn't have to be about planes. And I was like, oh, all right. And if an authority figure told me something, I was like, well, that then that's that. For, for better or for worse. And in this case, I was like, great. And it didn't scare me. I must have just known in that moment. OK, this is.
2: Well, he wasn't like you have an anxiety disorder. It's time to take you away. He was like, you should go to therapy.
3: And, well, you know what he said, which I really appreciated that I didn't actually appreciate it until much later in life, is he said, you're the youngest one here. Like I told you before, and he said, this is the time in mm-hmm. your life. He basically presented it like you want to get rid of this anxiety so that you can go have some fun. And since I did enjoy having fun, that connected with me, which is like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, it's to live your life. It's not because something's wrong. And and, I don't know. It just all sort of you deserve it. You deserve to go get some help. And it took a long time. I mean, I got help for like one tiny thing at a time. And then you don't realize it's connected to that and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I still was a complete reactionary spastic person for like a good 15 years after that, you know, and just but it was like it was livable. But I still every instinct was to keep my life small, keep it small. And then it was like, you know, I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to be an actor. I didn't know what this like if I saw comedians on like The Tonight Show, I didn't know that they did gigs where they had to travel. I didn't know any of that. So when I started doing stand up, my goal was not to go touring, like not at all. I just wanted to be on TV. So then like, as I started doing stand-up around New York, around LA, getting more popular, blah, blah. It just happens that you have to start touring and to make a living. And so I would still, you know, I moved to LA, but I took a train to move here from the East coast because it was after nine 11. And that oh, was like, yeah. I mean, talk about yeah. like validating the worst fear I'd had. I was, it didn't make me afraid to fly. Cause I thought that was going to happen again. I just said, I'm going to be thinking about it. I'm going to have a panic attack on the plane. I don't want to do that. So but, you know, I I moved to L.A. And and eventually other comedians would say, oh, do you want to come be my opening act? And I would start if someone said, you know, uh, be my opening act in Philadelphia in a month. I would book a flight and then claim I had a weird feeling about it and then try to call and rebook it. And and oh, well, that's going to cost money. Oh, screw it. Just put it on my credit card. So it's like the anxiety leads to like stupid crap like longer term, like getting into a debt right. on a credit card, you know, like that just because you keep changing a flight or I would call people and be like, do you think it's going to be OK? I mean, but what about this? And eventually, do you know that book about quitting smoking, the easy way to quit smoking by Alan Carr? Uh-uh. It's like a book a lot of smokers have read and everyone claims they just quit right away. It's It's pretty good. I don't know how he does this, but he wrote one about flying, the easy way to enjoy flying. And he said something that really connected that was like, unless you're walking around afraid planes are falling on your head, Like you don't have a fear of flying. If you're not calling your family when they're getting on a plane and crying and saying you're going to die, then you don't actually think planes are scary and bad. You don't like just grow up and admit it. This is a control issue. And that. Wait a second. That's good. It's so good. That is because that's
2: so true. If you're really that afraid, you think that all these planes are just like crashing all over the place and you wouldn't want anybody that you love to get on a plane.
3: Yeah, you'd be like Chicken Little, like, no, no, you know. And, and it was just yeah. like that helped. Now, did it do anything Did it stop no. the panic attack? No, but blah, blah, cut to I just get more well-known. I start touring and truly like that's the thing is I loved mm-hmm. traveling. I mean, that was where this all began is my instinct as a little kid was can we mm-hmm. go there? And that was always my favorite part of Disney World and Epcot Center was like the fake pavilions of all the different mm-hmm. countries. And I had such a spirit of adventure that was just completely destroyed by anxiety. And by the time I was in my late 30s, I finally got to fly and practice. I got to fly 20, 30 times wow. a year instead of once. And I think that's what yeah. happened. And I, I would take clonopin when I'd fly, not a crazy amount. But what started happening is take a, a half a clonopin on the way out the door of the airport, take one getting on into the airport and then take one getting on the plane. It's, so now that equals 1.5 milligrams. And I did that for years. And so it almost like Pavlovian now, I don't have to take and when I walk into an airport. When I want to walk into an airport, I'm calm. And now I'm just so glad that I'm not panicking, that nothing about travel bothers me. I mean, obviously, in my mind, I might go, Why is this baggage claim taking so long? Why is that person coughing? But in general, I'm not a stress case about travel because I've already stressed it. Like, so, so anyway, it's just like the phobia. Once the phobia was wrangled, I kind of thought I was in the clear. And then, like, maybe in my early 40s, I had. People tell me, I think you have ADHD. Relationships I was in, people would say, you know, I really can't deal with your anxiety. And I'd go, what anxiety? I don't have anxiety. I worked it out. But it would be like the kind of anxiety where maybe a negative attitude, or Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, I've got to call my boyfriend at work and tell him about this shipping thing that went wrong that was supposed to be delivered. Like these people don't need to know every detail of every minute. It's like, I don't know. I just had a few years where like I'm flying to Australia by myself and I'm like, Never panicking. And yet now my anxiety is coming out in different ways, which is very like disordered thinking, ADHD, reactionary. And it wasn't until like four years ago that I was like, oh, this thing moves around or it's it's more. Because if you you go that control route, so if you're talking
2: about like this isn't about my phobia, it's about control, whether it's controlling death, controlling whatever it is okay, so we've taken that. I no longer have to control that because now I feel good and safe and, and whole in this space. But then where am I going to get my control? And the uncertainty, I think that like a wonderful word that pairs with anxiety is this like uncertainty. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. And so my anxiety does this thing where it tries to fill in the blank and we get dopamine when we fill in the blank, but then we that wears off. And mm. then so we need more. And then what if we were wrong? So- we no, no longer have to fill in the blank about the plane, but then where are you going to fill in the
3: blank? God, that's, I never, no one has ever said it to me like that. It yeah. makes so much yeah. sense. And now I'm like obsessed with uncertainty. Like I love it. It mm-hmm. doesn't bother me. You know, I'd say now my anxiety today, the way it hits me would be more like a PTSD response. And what I mean by that is like, I might get really focused on something. If I feel like it's unfair, this is unjust, you know, like something that triggers being bullied as a kid or whatever. I don't know. I just kind of can get like caught up in stuff like that or like hyper focus on something. Yeah. And and it's all like my ADHD was just mm-hmm. wild the past couple of years. And I had a root canal during the I know we're still in the pandemic, but when it was a little safe mm-hmm. to go back to the dentist, I went back and they were like, oh, my God, like the roots of your blah, blah tooth are like pretty destroyed. And you need a root canal. And I was like, "What?" Uh, you know, I brush my teeth. And he's like, that's from teeth clenching. And I actually felt like I had a pretty easy pandemic. So I was like, I'm fine. And it's like, no, now the anxiety is like yeah, sneakier. Yeah. Like I'm finding all the places it's hiding. And now it's like, aha, I will clench your teeth in, this, in the night and you will need a root canal. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it moves around. Well, so here's my question for you then. As
2: your anxiety is yeah. moving around and and who knows, you might choose to, I'd rather have clenching my teeth and you know feeling like I'm gonna die on a plane somebody else might have a different opinion but but (laughs) as your anxiety is moving around what have you learned about like the coping with it because I think that one thing is that like I have yeah tons of anxiety tons and it manifests in different ways but I live a full life Mm -hmm. and I think there's things that we can do with ourselves to be able to do that. And so what have been some really helpful, whether they're like mantras or like behaviors or systems that you've created that allow you to like, I can live a full life with, and I can have anxiety and it doesn't define me. And I don't have to be afraid that I'm going to be sent to a asylum.
3: I think I flipped everything on its head that I used to think. So that existential crisis, you know, oh, my God, why are they talking about the war in the 1500s? The world has been around. I've now turned it into curiosity. Now I love space (sighs) travel. I love thinking about death, the afterlife, whatever. You know, um, I've turned that it's my identity, which would make me sort of defensive and like, I have anxiety. Because I went through a whole phase of like, I'm better than everyone because I have anxiety because it makes you smart. You know, that will... So gross. So I've turned that into not my identity, but something I can be honest about. So, hey, I have anxiety. So I'm not sure how this flight's going to hit me today. So I got to cancel dinner plans or whatever. You know, I never, it's just I'm, I own it, but I don't, it doesn't own yeah. me. And then another way I cope with it is the biggest one of all, which was what made me want to start my podcast, is I have a sense of humor yeah. about it, which, hello, as a comedian, the last place I put my humor was in dealing yeah. with this. I I thought it was so serious. And now it's just like, oh, that old thing. Oh, the anxiety. You know, it's just I realized that I can just have a sense of humor about the way I deal with it or I can think about it. Like one story I told, I think, on my episode that you heard is that there used to be this woman I worked with who'd come to your desk and she'd sigh Mm -hmm. and she'd wait for you to go. What's Mm -hmm. wrong, Lisa? And if you didn't, she'd walk away. And so it's like, my anxiety is like, like that. It's like Lisa like comes over, <laughs> wants my attention and I don't have to give into it. And and then I also have like, I go to talk therapy yeah. once a week. Sometimes we do EMDR work. I mean, every little thing I can do, I sleep with a weighted blanket. Like I started doing that after the teeth grinding. Sometimes I don't, I have a ton of fun. I, you know, try to do something physical every day. Like I like to hike and whatever. Uh, And, you know, but, you know, I drink a ton of coffee and it doesn't affect me. It's like, anxiety is not, so literal with me in that sense. And I think also just, just staying, I meditate, staying in the like beauty of the uncertainty instead of the scariness of it, because I can list more good things that have happened to me after a period of uncertainty than bad, if that makes sense. Like honestly, everything bad that's ever happened to me, you could kind of predict it. Somebody died this, you know, you got sick. Yeah. We know that's going to happen everything amazing that's ever happened to me has been, I never planned it. Holy shit. Can I say that? You know, as, (laughs) as I've been sitting here stressing about money, like this amazing job, like came through the next day. So that must've been in the works while I was stressing. So I try to think about it like that, you know, like everything bad that's ever happened. I already knew because we know the bad things in life and everything amazing came out of the blue. So I just, I just rearrange it. I am obsessed with that that
2: like because I love the curiosity thing I love that that I think is one of the best tools is like well what if we just were more curious than afraid like what if there was more wonder in our lives and I think wonder has a different wonder versus worry like wonder is this like oh that's yeah because it's the same they can essentially come from the same thing right but like but wonder has this like beauty to it and worry has this like tenseness to it Um, but we can do that with the same thing but for you to say that like Every really, really awesome, amazing thing has come out of this like uncertain time. And that's what has made them so great. So when I'm in a time that feels uncertain, what if I leaned into the fact that a lot of good stuff comes from that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like bad things happen, but like a lot of really good things happen within uncertainty. And I forget that.
3: Like that's so simple, but like Mm -hmm. so true. And I love that. And I try to stay away from stuff that's like, like affirmations that are solid, you know, I will have this because I think that can make people like me more anxious. So I, I do, I like to do affirmations that are or like mantras that are like, I don't know, you know, just like whatever's best. I think it'll, you know, that kind of thing. I just try to change my mindset from like, woe is me, I'm unlucky, to like, no, actually, the complete yeah. opposite is true, you know. Well, and I think the like affirmations
2: that are like, you will do X, it's like, well, you might be lying to yourself, <laughs> and that's not helpful. Like, we don't know. That's right. part of the like uh, curiosity and like the uncertainty is we don't really know. So for you to say like, maybe like, well, I don't know what's gonna happen, but also I've taken care of myself like up until now. So whatever's thrown yeah. at me, I I I most likely will be able to handle, and if not, I'll figure it out and I'll get some help. But yeah, I love the way that you're you're thinking about that and inviting the humor in. Man, even in therapy, that's one of the reasons that I started this podcast because I'm like, oh my god, like why do people think that therapy is this like big bad scary thing that's wrong? When I laugh, I'm I do therapy. I saw six seven clients today. I laughed so much. Some days yeah. are really really hard, but. We're also allowed to invite excitement and fun into the depths of our lives. Like, not everything has to be like, don't take yourself so seriously. And I bet life will be a little bit more fun.
3: Yeah, 100%. And if, you know, I would say like, I seriously have anxiety, but I don't take it so seriously. And and now it's just sort of like... I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what the big turnaround has been, but I just know I've been happier in the last couple of years, which is hard to say during a pandemic, but I really was, I was super happy, you know? And again, that's, I didn't have to worry about certain things. So I was like super lucky, but I just mean my, I, I remember feeling some anxiety during it, even some panic attacks sometimes, you know, there was a mild earthquake one night here in California and it was totally normal, but all the hospitals were full with, COVID patients pre vaccine. And I just, my mind went, Oh my God, it's going to be an earthquake. You're going to need to go to the hospital, but they're full. And I felt the thoughts and I felt the sensations and my body was shaking and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I was like, just text one of your friends and just say, Oh my, I'm having this dumbest panic attack. But like, say it like that. Don't be like help, you know? And it went away, but it's something that like I talk about as needed, but it's not like all I talk about with my friends. I mean, they
2: probably... When you have the ability to speak about it, I think that does lighten it. So you're talking about the difference between now where like it's out in the open, you're talking about, you even have a podcast talking about anxiety versus when I was like 16 years old, nobody could know this. Well, that's putting a big old shame pile on top of your anxiety, which is making it even worse. Well, now we can release that and we can have... I, I hate to say this, but we can like have some fun with our mental health. That seems like off or wrong, but at the same
3: time. No, I think it's our, our given. Right. I mean, there's also the years like in between, I can't tell anyone and Hey, I might mention it. I went through the whole like victim years where it's like, excuse me, I have anxiety, like meaning I get to act yeah. however I want and hurt people and I have anxiety. And so, you know, and, and now I'm like through that looking glass and it's just like, Oh shoot. I might have to ask someone if they can, um, Help me right now I'm I'm having that feeling Like I can't breathe you know yeah That's it and it's really nothing anyone can do It's just saying it out loud obviously like Takes the power Mm -hmm. away from it yeah a hundred percent
2: well I feel like I could I mean we could go on I wish I could take that part of your life and oh. do a whole other podcast on that but I'm sure you're going to talk about it on yours so I do I want to remember or I want to yes. remind people to go listen to Anxiety Bites it's it's new and so there's gonna is it weekly now it's
3: weekly and we're doing 46 episodes of season one Ooh. so there's a lot more okay. coming it's so a lot of content <laughs> There's a lot of, yeah. I, every week I try to talk about a different aspect of helping with anxiety, like whether it's the meditation episode or talking yeah. to a neuroscientist or talking to someone that wrote a memoir. Um, I am going to do a solo episode around Thanksgiving about oh, fear flying, yeah, because I, yeah. I know that's the busiest travel time of the year and and all that. But yeah, and you know, um, it's whatever whatever comes up, I'll talk about. You know, whether it's a new kind of medication or whatever. But the whole uh, the whole point is honest conversation something I wish I'd had when I was younger where we're not whispering we're not taking it so seriously no one's a guru it's it's just chatting and hopefully laughing and and like taking the stigma away from it so yeah nobody has to be hiding the
2: library like you were reading the word panic we just get to say it on a (laughs) podcast out loud (laughs) Oh, although hiding in a library sounds very relaxing. <laughs> I'm right sure. Now. Well, how can um, people find you so they can find the podcast anywhere we listen to podcasts, correct? Yes.
3: I took a big yeah. sip of water. me so <laughs> not like an idiot. Okay. Yeah, wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to it. And if they, I guess they can go to my website, which is my name, jenkirkman.com, okay. one N and Jen, everybody. And you'll see the tab for anxiety bites and some, I'll post about every episode. And I put like little takeaways from each person that, you know, a little advice they give. So if go to my website and you can read shorthand like some quick quick and easy anxiety tips okay awesome and then on instagram where do they find you same thing okay. at jen kirkman right.
2: amazing well thank you so much i enjoyed this yeah. um i could sit here longer and talk to you
3: well i'm a talker so i'm sorry if no, i mind your head you know off.
2: what i'm a talker too and so i have to practice <laughs> letting people talk so this is great for
3: me <laughs> have a good rest of
2: your
0: day i'll talk to you later
3: yeah you too bye bye